Exodus chapter 33, pages 92 and 93 in our church Bibles. Please do have them open in front of you. I rather like the story, I've told it here before, of the little girl who goes for a long walk with her granddad. They get off the bus, they walk through fields, along country lanes, through some woods, alongside a stream, uh, over a little bridge, over some stiles, and they come to a crossing in the paths. And the granddad says to the little girl, uh, <coughs> do you know where we go next? And she says, no. He says, so do you know where we are? And she says, no, I don't. Would you have to find your way back home from here? And she says, no, I wouldn't. So he says, so you're lost then? And she says, no, I'm not lost. You're with me. The big question in these latter chapters of the book of Exodus is whether God would be with his people. Yes, God had said in chapter 25 and verse 8, I will be with my people. In fact, have the people make me a a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. That sanctuary would be portable and the presence of God would go with them in the sanctuary throughout their wanderings and into the promised land. Yes, said God, I will be with you. No, say the people. We don't want you to be with us. We want some other gods to be with us. We want to make our own gods. Chapter 32 and verse 23. Make us gods who will go before us. Moses is up on the top of Mount Sinai receiving instructions for the sanctuary from God. But he's so long up there, the people get tired of waiting. So they say, forget all about that. Forget about Moses. Let's do it our own way. Hence the tragic story of the golden calf about which we heard last Sunday morning. By the time we get to the beginning of this chapter, Exodus 33... God is saying to Moses, well, you can go. Off you go to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. And when the people realize this, they've come far enough to realize that to have God's presence, a land flowing with milk and honey, without God's presence with them, would be an absolute disaster. And so in verses 4 and 6, we'd have them deeply distressed at the idea of going forward towards their promised land, but God not going with them. In verses 12 and following, Moses resumes his, well, I was going to say conversation. It's more like a confrontation with God that began in the previous chapter, verse 32, where Moses argues with God, twists God's arm, refutes God. He says in verse 12 to God, I'm sorry, but you have not kept me fully informed. He says also in verse 12, 
But you said, you're my friend. Better start being my friend. Moses says to God in verse 13, have you forgotten that this nation is your people? And in verse 15, Moses concludes, there's no point in us going another inch if you won't come with us. It's a very human picture of God being painted here. Not that we are somehow being given access to the deeper workings of the divine mind, (laughs) but rather that this is how God sometimes wants and expects his people to talk to him, to have a conversation with him, to have a discussion with him, about the way forward. In verse 17, or verse 15 and verse 17, excuse me, verse 14 and verse 17, God says, okay, I'll do it. I'll go. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest in the promised land. And Moses is not quite finished with this promise of God to say, yes, I will go with you. Moses isn't quite finished because he says in verse 18, now show me your glory. It's as though Moses wants a tangible reinforcement or confirmation of the word, the promise that God has just given him. And so in verses 21 to 23, Moses is stood in the cleft of a rock on the top of Mount Sinai, a.k.a. Mount Hermon. And he is allowed, I think this is the sense here, Moses asked to see God's glory. God says, you can't actually see me face to face. You can't see my face. It would be too much for you. What I'll let you see, I think this is the sense of what's going on here, is I'm going to shield you with my hand while I pass, and then what you will see is, as it were, the trailing, the the vapour trail (laughs) that is left after I have passed. You will see something, but not my face. It would be too much for you to bear. I think that's the picture being drawn here uh, for us, or something uh, like it. He's being allowed to see the vapour trail of God's glory. But whatever it means, it's something very tangible and very dramatic as a reminder, a reinforcer, an encouragement to follow God's word and God's promise. And so Moses knows now that the project is back on course In chapter 34, we see it back on course in a variety of ways. God's character is declared, that character which we'll be considering uh, together at prayer focus on Wednesday evening. And also, God's covenant is renewed, a covenant which had been broken on the Israelite, Israelite, Israelite side. In chapters 35 to 40, the tabernacle, God's dwelling place, is duly constructed. And finally, the tabernacle is filled with the glory of the Lord himself. Chapter 40 and verse 34. And with that, the book of Exodus finishes. 
Let me sum up all of this in just a few words. The experience of God's ordinary and continued presence is sometimes reinforced by the experience of his extraordinary and occasional presence. God would be with his people day by day. But Moses is given a specific and particular and dramatic confirmation of that. The ordinary presence of God, if we can put it like that, is reinforced by the the occasional and extraordinary presence of God. Now, I know that we're in the Old Testament, and we might say, well, the Old Testament is another country. Things are done differently there. And so they are in some important ways. But what about this idea that there is a continued presence of God with his people, and, but also sometimes a, a more extraordinary presence of God with his people? It certainly happened at other times in the Old Testament, Before any of this happened, Jacob had such an experience, Genesis chapter 28. And after this time, Isaiah had such an experience in the temple. He saw the Lord. What about New Testament, uh, the New Testament experience? When things are, well, not so much very different as so very fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. Are there still occasions when God reveals himself in more dramatic and extraordinary ways? Yes, there are. That dear man Stephen, about to be stoned to death for his forthright teaching about this and some other Old Testament scriptures. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, speaking about himself, says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. And he says, I'm not going to boast about that. I would rather boast about God's grace in weakness. But I had the experience, says Paul. The Apostle John, writing in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet And when I turned, I saw someone like a son of man. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Not a comfortable experience of God there for John, but a powerful one nonetheless. If time allowed, I believe I could give you scores of examples of such special visits from God to his people from time to time, particularly during, sometimes at times of great personal distress, and other times in times of great spiritual renewal. 
And from those scores of examples that might be given, I'll give just one as a flavour from a time of spiritual renewal. In South Wales, in August 1859, an early morning prayer meeting was held in the open air and was attended by 18,000 people. At the close, a man called Thomas John of Kilgarran was walking in a field, lost in reverie. A friend stopped him and said, What a glorious sight that was when the thousands were engaged in silent prayer. Did you ever see anything like that, Mr. John? He answered solemnly, I didn't see one of them. I saw no one but God. I'm going home, he said suddenly. How terrible is this place. It is too terrible for me. My flesh is too weak to bear the weight of glory. Let me tell you a little story concerning my own mother. My mother was an identical twin, and as is the case quite often with identical twins, they had an almost uncanny affinity with one another. My mother's twin sister uh, had cancer and died in 1976. My mother felt it so deeply that she could only describe it as a big part of her own self had been amputated. And in her distress, she found herself in prayer one night and God visited her. And all she could say, the only words that could come out of her mouth were, my Lord and my God. It was a singular, a one-off experience, but which prepared her and equipped her for the next 36 years when she remained still a person with sadness through her bereavement, but notwithstanding, a person who is able to joyfully and fruitfully take her place among her friends, amongst her family, and in her church community, and uh, in her very copious work in the kingdom of God. Some examples of God's extraordinary presence from time to time with his people. What then of God's more ordinary and continued presence, less dramatic perhaps, but no less real? Did Jesus not promise such a continued presence when he said, almost his parting words, Surely I am with you to the very end of the age? Did not Peter rejoice in this continued presence of the Lord Jesus when he said to his readers in his first epistle in chapter 1 that even though you have not seen Jesus Christ, you love him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy? Did not the Apostle Paul plead for more of this known presence of God when he prayed to his Ephesian readers 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Have you ever felt a magnetic pull from God? I've spoken to more than one person during the past week who, not coming from a particularly religious or Christian background, has felt the need to come along to church, to find out more about God and about Jesus Christ, and has found themselves at our Discover course in order to find out more about what it means to be a Christian, to belong to Jesus. That's the presence of God. That's the Holy Spirit. We're perhaps uh, halfway through our present Discover course, but it's still not too late to come along to this Thursday evening's meeting. Maybe the idea would be you do this, the, the second half of the current course and the first half of the, uh, half of the next one. But if, God, if you hear God's gentle pull, don't neglect it. Don't forget it. Act on it. Have you ever read or heard scripture and felt that your eyes were opened in a new way to eternal realities? God is with you. Can any of us, can all of us testify that when we pray, what a mystery prayer is, but that when we pray, things happen. Whereas when we don't pray, things don't happen. When we pray and things happen (laughs) for God's kingdom, God is with us. What's happening when we come to the Lord's table and receive the bread and wine, as we will do so later this morning? We're taught in scripture that there is a real communion, a real sharing, a real participation with our living saviour. A saviour whose body was broken and whose blood was shed to reconcile us, to bring us to God. Here's a saviour who feeds our souls, a saviour who is now present to bless us. God is with us around the table. And even if under the present circumstances you don't feel able to come and receive the elements, God will be with you anyway. Sometimes then, God's presence is an almost unbearable manifestation of his glory. Quite often, it's more like a still, small voice. Either way, let's rejoice that God is with us and with all his people today. And let's seek to live in the light of that presence more and more with each passing hour. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a a question to propose uh, to, to you over coffee, and it's this. Has there ever been a time when God felt especially close to you? I wonder if you're willing to ask or to share with others at the close of the service. Has there ever been a time when God felt especially close to you? We're now going to speak to God together as Andy leads us in our prayers.
Thank you, Wendy.